the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this first weekend in February 2024. I hope you remember to have your throat blessed on Saturday, February 3rd, the Feast of St. Blaise, patron of throat problems. After the news segment, make sure you stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Monsignor Terence Hogan, coordinator of the Patrons of the Arts in the Vatican Museums. He's a wonderful storyteller, and we learn more about the patrons, the chapters around the world, their various restoration projects, tapestries, wood, mosaic, painting, sculpture, etc., and some little-known secrets about restoration. You'll also learn how to become a patron of the arts and the benefits of membership in the patrons. Okay, now the top news stories of the week. Sunday, January 28th. At the Angelus, Pope Francis recalled World Leprosy Day, but principally decried suffering in Myanmar, the Middle East, Ukraine, and Haiti, urging everyone to pursue paths of peace. Wars are a disaster for people and a defeat for humanity, he said. Also at the Angelus, Francis condemned an attack Sunday morning by armed gunmen during Mass in a Catholic church in Istanbul, Turkey, that left one person dead. The Apostolic Vicar of Istanbul, Bishop Massimiliano Palinuro, appealed to authorities to seek the truth behind the attack, which seems to suggest religious intolerance. Monday, January 29th. Pope Francis, in an interview with Italian newspaper La Stampa, called for a ceasefire in the Middle East, reminding listeners of the celebrated Oslo Agreement with the solution of two states. Until that agreement is applied, he said, true peace remains distant. Calling on all parties to immediately stop bombs and missiles, Francis explained his opposition to defining any war as just. It is legitimate to defend oneself, he said, but it's also necessary to avoid justifying wars, which are always wrong. Also Monday, the Holy Father welcomed journalists of the two Catholic TV and radio networks of the Italian bishops. He stressed that amid the vortex of technological innovation taking place in the world of communication and information, including new artificial intelligence, Catholic communicators must never lose sight of their fundamental mission of bringing the light of hope to the darkness that surrounds us. He invited his guests to have the courage to go against the flow, to be different without becoming argumentative or aggressive, to be credible without claiming to impose their point of view, to be a bridge builder. Always remember, he said, that the person is at the center of every service, every article, every program. Tuesday, January 30th, Pope Francis released his prayer intentions for the month of February 2024, inviting people to pray for the terminally ill and their families. Wednesday, January 31st, continuing his general audience catechesis on virtues and vices, Francis looked at wrath 
defining it as uncontrolled anger that may well begin with brooding over offenses received, but ends up being self-destructive and damaging to our relationships with others, leading ultimately to violence and even war. The Pope said Jesus teaches us to forgive those who sin against us, while St. Paul urges us never to let the sun set on our anger. Yet, said Francis, there is an appropriate kind of anger, and this consists in righteous indignation before evil and injustice. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to control this passion. Also Wednesday, the Vatican announced that Father Pietro Wu Yishun, appointed by Francis on December 16, 2023, was consecrated as the new bishop of Shaowu in the Chinese province of Fujian. This is the third such report in a week regarding new bishops consecrated in communist mainland China. There has been a lot of criticism since the September 22, 2018 agreement renewed in 2020 and 2022 between the Holy See and China about the appointment of bishops. This allowed the communist Chinese government to name the men they wanted as bishops, but did give the Pope the right to disagree with their choice. Thursday, February 1st. In his message for Lent 2024, published on Thursday, Pope Francis said Lent is a season of grace, a time of conversion, where the desert can become a place where our freedom can mature in a personal decision not to fall back into slavery. It's a season where we find new criteria of justice and a community with which we can press forward on a road not yet taken. This Lenten journey, he said, involves a struggle. It is time for action, but also a time to pause, to pause in prayer and to pause in the presence of a wounded brother or sister. Also Thursday, Pope Francis met with the Board of Trustees of Notre Dame University in Indiana, and he invited Catholic educators to help students reach for their dreams through intellectually rigorous, faith-filled formation. He reflected on what he called the three languages of education, the head, the heart, and the hands. He said these three elements of the human person form the core of Catholic education and its goal of assisting young people to arrive at maturity and completeness. Friday, February 2nd, the Vatican released Pope Francis's message for World Mission Day 2024 in which he reflects on the gospel parable of the wedding banquet, where the king tells his servants, Go therefore to the thoroughfares, and invite to the marriage feast as many as you can find. Mission, said Francis, is a tireless going out to all men and women in order to invite them to encounter God and to enter into communion with him, just as Jesus, the good shepherd and messenger of the Father, went out in search of the lost sheep. Also Friday, in an audience with the National Federation Italy-China on its 10th anniversary, Pope Francis expressed his support for cultural initiatives that seek to foster dialogue between the two nations. He said their efforts help overcome the challenges posed by cultural integration, education, and the promotion of shared values. Treated to a folkloric dance, the Holy Father said the sight of these acrobatics leads me to encourage all of you to keep taking risks on the path of dialogue, and in this way to become acrobats of peace and fraternity. 
Also Friday, Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord, Pope Francis presides at Mass in St. Peter's Basilica with members of the Institute of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life for the 28th World Day for Consecrated Life. Those are the news highlights of the week, but now stay tuned for my conversation with Monsignor Terence Hogan, Coordinator of Patrons of the Arts in the Vatican Museums. Become a patron this week. This is Father Ken Briganti. Catholic Radio reaches a vast audience of people. It's an excellent tool of evangelization in the 21st century. So radio is the best way for us to get to know the Lord, and then we can love Him and serve Him and prepare ourselves in this life to be with Him for all eternity. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. Hi, I'm Doug Keck. This is an EWTN bookmark brief, speaking with author George Manassa from Sydney, Australia. Two of his books, The Art of Practical Catholicism, Your Faith Guide to Taking Action in a Post-COVID-19 World, and his follow-up, A Guide to Implementing Your Faith in Our Modern World. Okay, George, tell us what prompted you to put these two books together and what are they about? Thank you, Doug. What prompted me to put these two books together was simply uh, during the COVID pandemic, I wanted to create a guide to help people with a series of different topics which could help to shape the individual to be ready for our postmodern world after the pandemic, to become effective, to bring the gospel to every single person that they encounter in their day-to-day lives. Thank you so much, George Manasseh. I'm Doug Keck. This has been an EWTN Bookmark Reef. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Monsignor Terence Hogan, coordinator of the Patrons of the Arts in the Vatican Museums. We learn about the various restoration projects, tapestries, wood, mosaic, painting, sculpture, etc., and some little-known secrets about restoration. Monsignor is a great storyteller. You'll also learn how to be a patron of the arts in the Vatican Museums. One time, not, actually not as a patron, but when I was working at the Vatican at the press office, one day I went to get a papal mm-hmm. blessing for someone. And as you walk in this little entryway to this mini courtyard, on the left was the tapestry. And so my another colleague of mine said, John, why don't we just knock on the door and see if they'll let us in? <laughs> and Carmen was that way. Well, we knocked on the door. They were overjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I don't suppose just anybody could, but we were colleagues who worked at the Vatican. Well, the fascinating work, for example, in the tapestries, and we've had the patrons uh, restoring these tapestries, many that were designed by Raphael, yes. some that are 400, 500 years old. The interesting thing about the tapestries is the fact that you were able to go by knocking on that door, normally, you know, it's, it's you know, who's there? And uh, yeah. there's only three or four uh, sisters, nuns, religious in there, working on these tapestries. But some of these are 500 years old, designed by um, Raphael, and then worked on and constructed in Belgium. Right. And they were returned here. And they were the warmers, for example. Instead of hanging a blanket on the wall to keep rooms warm, you would have these beautiful tapestries. And last year... 
uh, they hung the tapestries that were actually part of the Sistine Chapel. Oh, they hung I remember. Wasn't that incredible? Absolutely oh, yes. incredible. What I loved, too, was, A, watching these women work with oh. such amazing patience because they had to have a thread match the original where they could not obtain the thread of that same identical color, okay? Mm -hmm. Not a different, you know, nuance, same color. They would make their own. They, they dye their own. Mm -hmm. It was just absolute, and to see their passion right. for this. Yeah. But you know, you might look at a thread that somebody's repairing on a, on a tapestry and you think to yourself, yeah, but who cares if when it's hung on the wall, no one's gonna notice that square inch. And they said, that's not the point. The point is, we have to be original, you know, you know. And what they've discovered, for example, in the tapestry, in the mosaic studios, they yes. discovered what actual pieces of rock or pieces of thread that were used 500, 600 years ago. Yeah. And it's historical, you know, it's scientific, this research. Uh, that and to think they did this all without a computer, you know? Oh, I know. Oh, well, well just, <laughs> just building just the basilica, exactly. and they didn't have the kind of mm -hmm. scaffolding we have and mm -hmm. equipment that we have today. But you mentioned the other office that blew my mind the first time I visited the mosaic office. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. have twenty six thousand colors, mm -hmm. and it was the mosaic office in the Vatican that invented what is called. How you can melt, if that's the correct word, right. with heat. You can take a bar, a small bar of, of a mosaic mm -hmm. and melt it and create that fine, fine, fine filament. Say hair, eyelashes, mm -hmm. you know, eyebrows, mm -hmm. whatever needs to be finely done on a... And I'm happy that there are no organized tours, you know, of 50 people right. a day. It's, it's very difficult to... You couldn't, you couldn't do right, your work. Right, you right. really couldn't. Exactly. But as we were saying with the restoration labs, and there's also the wood restoration. Yeah. You know, uh, when I say wood, you think, where does the wood... Well, so many of these ancient pieces of art, paintings in particular, medieval and then Renaissance and then even modern, uh, you might find a painting or 200 years old or so, and it's the wood that begins to rot. Oh, sure. And, and that has to be delicately dealt with. And, you know, we just learned a week or 10 days ago mm -hmm. that the uh, Knights of Columbus will be uh, taking care of the restoration of the Baldacchino, the huge canopy covering in the Basilica of St. Peter's. And I did not know until they sent all of us journalists all the documentation that there's a lot of wood in the Baldacchino, mm -hmm. in the papal altar area. It's incredible because these are things you look up there, you think it's marble, and a lot of that is wood. Even yeah. throughout the Vatican, the patrons, our organization as a papal association, were directly under the president secretary general of the, Vati oh, of, sure. of the Vatican, the Vatican City State. So we have projects all throughout the Vatican except St. Peter's Basilica. That is taking That's care the of fabrica. the fabrica. Yeah. And so we have the rest of the 104 acres, as it were, to take care wow. of. So that's, you know, that's a lot there. And again, you know, without restoring these pieces of art, this culture, we begin to lose. We lose the history. Oh, we lose sure. what's gone beyond, you know, before us. I was reading all of the papers they sent us last week. And the wonderful thing about the Basilica, or the Baldacchino, it's inside. Mm -hmm. So... You, it, it was not exposed for 500 years mm -hmm. to uh, elements, to snow, to rain, to dust. Yes, normal dust, 
but nothing massive mm-hmm. li- like storms. Well, I'm thinking of, for example, the, we call it the Raphael rooms, you know, oh, those sure. rooms, it was the actual offices, bedrooms of, of, of the popes, very near the Sistine Chapel, and they're amazing. And Raphael himself and his students were the ones who painted, you know. There's some very, very famous works, and they're obviously the famous one of the philosophers, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it just reveals so much of what's happening. And next to them also is uh, the, the Room of Constantine, which is huge. And that is finishing oh, yeah. up now, being restored, thanks to the good work of uh, our friends from New York and some others who have helped. Yeah. And um, the just Hall the of details, Maps was the Hall of Maps, that's another one. You, oh. you just think of how... And the other interesting things, we're now looking at some of the, uh, the loges, the galleries, that for many years, there were no windows. There were no actual glass windows that would protect these um, pieces of art from the elements. So it's just like an open portico or something? Open porticos, oh, you know, wow. and so that obviously affected. One of the other interesting things that they found during all these projects of preservation, restoration, is everybody had a better idea every century on how to actually correct the last person's oh, preservation. Sure. Right. So when they begin to look at a painting or a fresco, they begin to find what someone else had done in order to restore it. Oftentimes, though, maybe it was like taking, I would say, uh, the ladies put the polish on the nails, you know? Oh, yeah. That, that was invented and said, well, let's try that. Let's try that. So as you know, you know very well, when you go into the Sistine Chapel, there are various spots in the Sistine Chapel, and the patrons did all the sides, restored all the sides. Oh, yeah, the life of Moses The life of Moses and, you know, the, in the scriptural passages. But you'll see little spots that are dark, very, very dark. And they left those there so people can see the difference between the new and the old. May I tell you one of the most stunning moments of my entire years working for the Vatican came when they were still working on restoring the chapel. And they were working on the Last Judgment. The ceiling had been done. Sides were yet to be done. So they're working on the Last Judgment. And, And they had all the scaffolding set up. And it was like six different levels. And the, there was a mini elevator that would bring the restorers up to the different levels. At one point, several of us from the Vatican press office were there. We were brought to mm-hmm. learn about and write about the restoration. And I was privileged. I almost get the chills thinking about it. I was privileged to be in that elevator. I went all the way to the top level, mm-hmm. and I didn't do it. But with my left hand, I could have touched the last judgment. And with my right hand, I could have touched the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I just stood there as a, as a lover of mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, um, I knew that was going to be one of the more special moments in my life. And I also happened to love Michelangelo. So mm-hmm. that was amazing. Well, interestingly enough, you know, and the patrons were very, uh, very important in the uh, Capella Paulina, the Pauline Chapel. Oh, yes. Which poor Michelangelo was kept very, very busy by the popes. And uh, just as Michelangelo was becoming, he was in his mid-70s, he was starting to go blind, the Pope asked him to now go into this uh, smaller chapel that had been used for many years for the papal election, actually before the Sistine Chapel was used. And um, in the Pauline Chapel, as you know well, uh, there are the last two frescoes that Michelangelo painted. Yeah. You know, the the, the uh, crucifixion of St. Peter upside yeah. down, down and then the conversion of St. Paul on the opposite wall. Yeah. And it's so fascinating, but they had to clean those, uh, 
take care of the rest of the chapel itself. And one of the most beautiful pictures is uh, they have it uh, in the archives is when Pope Francis, after he left the basilica, uh, I mean, say uh, the chapel, Sistine Chapel, to go to the loggia to bless the people, he stopped at the Pauline Chapel. You know, he kept that tradition up because it's a very prayerful. It's one of the Pope's private chapels, but it's incredible to have those frescoes there. Yeah. Tell us about the wish book. The wish book is incredible. It's it, it's our workbook. And so what happens once a year, uh, the director of the museums, and, and now it's uh, Ms. Barbara Yatta, Dr. Barbara Yatta, oh, yes. as you know well, and uh, Barbara and her team put together the wishes. What do the curators? And you have to remember we have you know over twelve different. Uh, Museums within one museum. So sure. all these are curated by different individuals. They say, is it possible to take this one particular piece of art? I'm thinking of one, for example, that was just adopted by uh, Illinois. Uh, and I'll, I can mention that, and they did it for a very special person in Illinois and there in his honor. Um, but I'll keep that on kind of quiet for oh, right sure. now. But um, it's a tunic, and this tunic was found from the Sancta Sanctorum over at St. John Lateran, where the Pope originally lived for many, many years before eventually moving over to St. Peter's. And so this tunic is now almost completed. And the tunic is something that the Pope, or uh, you're used to seeing what a deacon wears, his official vestment. Well, this tunic is now, they figure, over 1,500 years old, which means it was used in that first chapel uh, probably in in the 400s or the 500s. And so you have... Who do you go to to fix this? Well, it's those who worked in the tapestry area. Oh, sure. And so, anyway, that was a project that was in the uh, uh, 2023 wish book. So we gather about eh, maybe 35 projects. um, uh, From small to large. From small to large. And the pricing, when I say the pricing, uh, the adoption price in euro or dollars is for the cost of labor. It's for the cost of the hours. You know, we break it down. Materials. The materials, everything that goes, if you have to bring in somebody from the outside to help, etc., etc. So, for example, the 2024 wish book now has gone out uh, uh, just by by website, as it were. I was just going to say it's on the website. It's okay. on the website. The hard copy is coming out very, very soon. Uh, we know with the modern age, people look at the website sometimes first. So people will adopt these projects, and it becomes theirs. And then they make a payment plan, or a chapter will um, adopt a project, or a family does it in honor. For example, I, you know, it was just something when, the, when I first became a patron, uh, I adopted a very, very insignificant Historically important, but for, it was not that expensive. Uh, but I adopted in honor of my mother. And uh, so every time I go to visit, it's down in the car and carriage museums, uh, I see it's in honor of Catherine Hogan. You know? oh, how and so you have this connection you know, of these projects that have been adopted, and people do it as a legacy, as a legacy, and for the, for the world. Let's talk now about how to become a patron. And I know there's two levels. I mean, there's individual, and then mm-hmm. you can also choose to be, a, at a slightly higher price, an individual restorer. I mean, specifically. Mm-hmm. You, the money you give as a patron every year, if you choose just the, the base model, still goes to restoring products. 
right. projects. Right. But, um, As I mentioned earlier, there's, there's currently 17 chapters uh, around the world. And so a person becomes a patron, you know, they can easily, sometimes they get the information from another patron, but uh, the best way is, is to go on to patronsvaticanmuseum.org, patronsvaticanmuseum.org. Um, and that will give you where to contact your local. Because in the United States and Canada, it's a tax deductible. Yes. You know? So when you become a patron. Uh, and so we deal through various chapters that are all uh, independent and self-sufficient, as it were. Sure. Somebody, you can come in as a junior member, as a clergy, and then as an individual, uh, as a family. Family, yeah. You know? And that money then goes through the chapter for tax purposes so that it's controlled and we have our controls and it goes through the chapters for tax purposes and then it goes towards one of these projects for the wish book either by the chapter sure. or by the individual exactly so they should absolutely go to the website and as i said what i usually do the friday before the weekend an interview airs i write on my friday blog about the person that i'll be interviewing and then I also put the link when there is a link to the site. So, um, and then the initials, if you look at capital P-A-V-M, but make sure it's .org, it is .org, Patrons of the Arts of the Vatican Museums. Well, I should have said halfway through our talk that I'm talking with Father T uh, Monsignor Terrence Hogan, who's the coordinator for the P-A-V-M for, all, for mm -hmm. all the patrons. So we'll have to make the next appointment happen somewhere in the, in the museums, I'll have to figure out what I haven't seen and, and should see and, and let you know. I want to thank you for your time and, and your enthusiasm. I think the listeners can hear it in both of us, uh, why we love being a patron and just the thrill of being with two things, with the piece of art we may have restored as a chapter or individual, and then being with other people who have our same passion. Mm -hmm. So your work, for that reason, must be very uplifting. It's very uplifting. I just want to assure your audience in particular, and I always tell the patrons this, whenever uh, I celebrate Mass, I always pay, pray for our patrons, both living and deceased, for those oh. who have gone before us. Oh, sure. And uh, Because we are a family, and it's almost, uh, I, sometimes it's uh, uh, this wonderful family they come together, you know, and they'll, they'll meet each other and they'll say, do you know about the patrons? Tell your friends about the patrons. Exactly. And that's how we get to move forward. So yeah. thank you very much for your time, Joan. Well, listen, God bless you. We're at the beginning, the early stages of a new year, and I hope that 2024 is a wonderful year for the patrons, for restoration, the individual works being done in the museums, and then, of course, not under your purview, but the baldacchino. We're going to be exactly. learning more about, the, well, just the techniques used. Mm -hmm. And that be the same kind you're using because the Vatican Museums have some of the most remarkable restorers on the planet. Again, thank you, and have a good rest of the day and a good rest of 2024. Thank you, Joan, and God bless you, and uh, Happy New Year, as it were, 2024. Right? Thank you, and God has blessed me. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.